Hey guys, welcome to the Base Path Podcast. Uh, I'm Kurt Hughes, and today's guest is Andy Bradley. Andy is the head coach at Gonzaga College High School, and he also um, is the owner and founder of Bradley Baseball Academy, which is a travel baseball organization in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, I actually used to coach some teams for them, so Andy, have kind of, Andy and I have uh, known each other for a couple of years because of the, uh, you know, the teams that I used to coach for them. And, you know, we always had a really good working relationship, so he agreed to hop on the pod. Um, so the first part of the interview kind of got cut off because I forgot to hit the record button. Um, so there was a couple things that we covered before um, we start talking about, like, his high school career. And that was just kind of like where he went to school, um, which was for his freshman year, he went to West Virginia. And then he went to Prince George's Community College and Montgomery College of, jo of Germantown um, before he had some elbow troubles that really restricted him from, you know, kind of having like a healthy, uh, college, uh, baseball career. Uh, but he learned a lot along the way from those, uh, three different college coaches that he had that he's been able to translate, uh, to Gonzaga and to Bradley baseball Academy, which we touch on later in the piece, but, um, a little bit more background on Andy. Andy's dad, um, used to be the head coach at, uh, university of Maryland. So, um, when he references, he learned a lot from his father. He did definitely learn a lot from his father because his dad uh, used to be uh, the head coach of Maryland. So lots of awesome stuff in this interview. Hope you guys enjoy. So I'm sure that a lot of our listeners don't know this, um, but you coach at the same high school that you went to. Um, so I wanted to kind of ask you about your experience at Gonzaga and just kind of the things that you went through in your high school career that kind of led you to um, where you are now? Um, all right, so my freshman year at Gonzaga, you know, I had a, I was off to a, to a pretty good start. Um, you know, I was start shortstop on the JV team and, um, you know, seemed to be on a good path. And my goal for the, for the next year was to make varsity as a sophomore. Um, and I thought that there was going to be enough spots open and uh, they were, in need of a couple infielders, so it, it was it was looking like I was on the right trajectory. And then uh, that summer, I just for the first time in my career, I really just hit uh, sort of a wall. And I played on a Babe Ruth team, and Babe Ruth, you know, was, was pretty good competition, um, you know, in the, in the league I was playing in. But I just I had a worse year that year playing Babe Ruth than the previous year when I was a year younger playing the same league. And then going into that fall, my sophomore year, uh, I was asked to play on the Gonzaga varsity fall team and uh, with a few other sophomores. And I, I got three hits the whole season. It was just demoralizing. You know, I wanted to transfer. It's, you know, where can I run and hide? This is just the first time that I have not, not just had an average year, but had like a completely awful campaign. It was bad. Um, but, worse I did, the harder I worked. You know, it wasn't one of those things where, you know, when I say demoralizing, I mean, I would get home, I'd get in the car, and I was in tears sometimes, because I was just, what is going, like, I was just so perplexed as to why I was not seeing results, so putting all this work in. And I'd wake up the next day and be back in the cage, you know, I'd like, go into my backyard and hit the batting cage, i get to the field early and hit the batting cage, i go to the University of Maryland where my dad was coached, we take on-field BP, I was constantly hitting, constantly hitting. And, um, and then throughout that winter, stuck with that process, and then we got into tryouts, 
and uh, didn't make the team, rightfully so, because I would have done nothing to help that uh, you know that that 1998 team win at all. Um, I wasn't ready. I my bat speed. I, I had probably a, a curveball bat speed against you know fastball pitching, and that was not going to get it done. So that spring, I was feeling sorry for myself, and you know. Goofing off, I wasn't uh, performing well in the field. I was so upset with the coach that you know Coach Shirk had cut me because you know he doesn't like me and why did he keep me? Why did he keep this sophomore? Ended up getting converted from shortstop to third base, so it was it was a real tough stretch. But um, I look back on that year as when all of this was going on. Uh, you know, I was you know with maybe the exception of pockets in the springtime. I was still working extremely hard, probably the hardest I've ever worked um, during the course of a year at baseball. And then once that season was over with, I was so happy. I was, I was just ready to play summer ball. And I played on this American Legion team where it was me and uh, 15 guys from Matha. And uh, I knew, you know, I knew some of the guys, uh, you know, some more than others, but it was a clean slate for me. You know, I was going into that. They didn't know that I hit, you know, 280 and JV or whatever I hit that year. And, um, you know, they just, they saw me at tryouts. I had a pretty good trial. They said, okay, I think this guy can double swing. So, you know, he's cool. And that's how, you know, that's how kids, uh, kids operate. And so really had a great bond with those guys. Um, I mean, actually it's, it's the coach of that team is Larry Prang, who was a longtime assistant to math and was head coach at McNamara. Without a doubt, one of the best, one of the best baseball minds, uh, that I've ever, not just played for, but seen, heard from, talked to. He is an unbelievable coach, and he's getting inducted into the Maryland Hall of Fame on Saturday, and I'm going to see him and a bunch of other nice. guys from that team. But um, but that summer was really special for me, and it started to you know get me on the right path and get me going in the right direction. So that fall, uh, you know, played on our Gonzaga football team again, did better, did, certainly did better, uh, and um, and then that winter continued to work, continued to just tweak my stance here or there, um, you know, get more swings, get in the weight room. And then junior year, uh, it was, it started, it started high, went down a little bit and then it ended high for me. I ended up, uh, starting in, you know, the first few games and then it was off and on in the starting lineup. And then I got a couple pinch hit at bats and, uh, and, and was successful. And then ended up starting about the last 10 games of the season and, uh, including the championship games we lost that year at St. John's. Uh, but my confidence certainly on high. Went back to play this uh, American Legion team this summer. Did well. Had a good year. Hit my very first home run that I had ever hit on a big field that season. Um, and, uh, and and that was, you know, that was a pretty cool experience remembering that. And then the next fall I played on a showcase team. Uh, they're now called the Mid-Atlantic Red Sox. It was the inaugural season for them. And uh, did very well. Had a good, had a real good fall season. Started to get some interest, um, and uh, and was continuing to you know get ready for the spring season for Gonzaga. We were in the championship game the year before against our you know our hated rival St. John's, and we knew that they were going to be good again. So we uh, you know we had a feeling it was it was probably going to be them, us or O'Connell, and we ended up we ended up finishing first in the conference that year. We went twenty-seven and five. And we beat St. John's in the championship, um, and uh, 
years ago, that 2000 team, we were inducted into the Gonzaga Athletic Hall of Fame, and uh, the other co-captain, John Boyer, found the semifinal and championship games on old VHS. Nice. Went over to his house after the after the uh, um, ceremony and got the barbecue going, and we put him up on this big projector, and uh, we sat around just you know watching the. And it was cool because he edited it to where there was no break in between pitches. Oh, nice. We weren't there for five hours watching it. It ended up being about you know, two hours watching it, um, which, was, which was pretty cool. You know, see a stockpile of games over at Catholic University. And, um, and it, was, it was a really just a really cool moment. And for me, it was that you know, I felt that I was, um, you know, all that hard work had finally paid off. Because that sophomore year, as frustrated as I was getting, I look back on it as that's without a doubt the most important year of my playing career because – even though I didn't see results at that moment, and I didn't realize that the results were going to come, um, I had hoped. But because of all the work I put in then, it, it ended up um, it ended up paying off down the road, which, which happens a lot of the time. So I would say, given your background, you had probably had interactions with about as many professional coaches um, as you could. For someone that's kind of like, uh, you know, didn't play like MLB ball, right? So like your dad was a coach at, uh, or was a coach at Maryland. You went to three different schools, so you had interactions with all those guys. Um, and obviously, you played a lot through the summer. So can you talk a little bit about just uh, your experiences with different coaches and kind of like what you've taken away from their coaching styles and applied to your own coaching style, both with Gonzaga and with BBA? Um, I think that, uh, you know, I played for, for three different college coaches and, you know, I, you know, I had a high school coach and American Legion coach that I just mentioned and, uh, obviously learned a lot from my father, um, you know, with all his years in baseball. Uh, there was, there were certain things that, um, coaches would do that I would not understand at the time and they made sense, you know, that I had that, I would have those aha moments sometimes in the middle of the season, sometimes, you know, two weeks ago. Uh, so sometimes that's what happens with, uh, you know, certain lessons that, college, that the coaches are trying to teach. And then there's certain things that college coaches did that I just, still to this day, you know, it's a head scratch. Um, but I think the attention to detail is probably the thing I took away the most from, uh, from my experience playing. Some coaches did not have attention to detail, and I back and then I realized, man, there was no structure and I, you know, and us as players, we needed that. And there's some guys that were so nitpicky and so detail-oriented and for me, growing up, I was not detail-oriented at all. I was, you know, you know, my room was messy. I was not, like, you know, as meticulous and as detail-oriented as I am now. Um, but I think that just happens with, you know, in order to be a coach, I think you gotta, you really have to Try and be as detail oriented as possible because you got a lot of balls up in the air that you're trying to control. So that's probably one of the one of the biggest lessons I took was just how important it is to have that attention to detail. So in this next region, we kind of had a little audio trouble, but we were talking about um, Andy's path during college and how um, he had went to West Virginia his freshman year, and then as that year uh, concluded. 
uh, he decided that that wasn't the spot for him uh, just because of, you know, the competition level and he didn't quite have the foot speed to be able to compete at that level um, with the guys that they're bringing in. So he ended up going to Prince George's Community College and then he ended up going to Montgomery College uh, in Germantown, um, which both compete at the JUCO level. Um, but anyway, so we kind of breezed through that. Um, and as I had said, we kind of had some audio trouble. So I kind of want to just fill you guys in, fill the gaps. So that way you guys are understanding and it was coherent where we were at. Um, but then we started talking about after he got done baseball and what his path was and how he was, uh, working at restaurants and doing some real estate stuff, um, before he really got back into it. So I'm going to let him, uh, take over now. Yeah. So I was, um, I was working at a restaurant and probably there about a year and a half not thinking about baseball at all. The only time I was watching baseball was on the, the TV bar. And, uh, my old high school coach, uh, Joe Shirk came into the Delvinur cause, uh, Gonzaga is only a few blocks away and it was a total happenstance. He said, Hey, you know, what's been going on? We caught it for a few minutes. And he said, uh, he said, Hey, listen, you, you know, we're getting our season started here in a couple, in a couple weeks. Would you want to come back and, um, you know, be our infield coach on the varsity? And I said, I said, yeah, I don't know, coach. I, I really appreciate it, but, um, you know, kind of, kind of have really been doing anything with baseball over the last year and a half or so pretty much out of it and he said well think about it you know I'd love to have you um, and uh, you know we can, you can be part time full time whatever works for us okay so I thought about it and, and it my initial reaction was I was being nice to him you know I was gradually being just kind of I was like oh, there's no way I want to do this um, but I started to think about it a little more and you know I was dating someone at the time and you know she was saying yeah I want to you know just give a shot it's part time you know I've been coaching a couple months you know why not so I said, all right, so I, I started as a, started as a uh, assistant varsity coach, you know, working with the infielders, helping out with the hitters, and, and it was fun. You know, I just got to instruct, uh, you know, the great thing about being an assistant coach is that, uh, you know, you're, especially when you're, you know, 21, is that you're sort of a bridge for those high school guys to the head coach. So, you know, I was not their friend, but they could confide in me. Um, I didn't really have to be the bad cop, um, you know, and when you're 21, you know, I don't think, you know, anybody really wants to be a bad cop um, as a coach of these guys that are, you know, when you're three years removed from high school. So it was good for me to just be an instructor almost. And as the next, you know, three years or four years went along, I started to make, you know, just feel a little bit more comfortable. I was getting older. I was developing as a coach. I was maturing and I felt that, uh, desire to be more of a, um, a leader um, and rather than just instructing. It's just sort of this progression. I never thought about being a head coach at Gonzaga. I was, I was happy with what I was doing. And by this time, I was getting into real estate. And, uh, and so I was, I was enjoying just being the assistant coach for those months out of the year, and that was it. And then after the uh, season in 08, my head coach sent me an email and said, hey, listen, and, and he sent it to a couple other, uh, of our assistant coaches and said, hey, listen, uh, I'm stepping down this year. You know, it's just time for me to retire. 
they're looking to you know they're looking to hire. It's an open application process. You know, if you guys are interested, I just want to give you a heads up. So, you know, I said, oh, I'll throw my name in the hat. I thought there was no chance they would take you know a chance on a uh, you know, twenty what was it twenty six year old at the time. Um, you know, coaching in the WCAC. Um, but I went in for an interview with our AD and our headmaster at the time. And, you know, just, it was kind of, it was kind of, you know, it was, it was nice and breezy. It wasn't too intense. Uh, thought I answered their questions pretty well for the most part. But uh, when I, when I left, I, you know, I didn't really think that. Right. <laughs> I knew that they were interviewing a lot of other people. And I ended up getting a call about, probably about a week or two later. And uh, from Joe Rayner our athletic director, star athletic director, and and said, hey, I just want to let you know that we'd, uh, we'd love to have you start, you know, Gonzaga um, as, the, as the varsity head coach. And, you know, I, was, I was excited. I was actually working at baseball camp at Tacoma Park, uh, and I was on my lunch break when he called. So um, so that was pretty neat to get that phone call. And, and one of the things that, you know, we talked about in that conversation was expectations. You know, I said uh, – you know, I said, what, you know, what are your expectations for me and for the program? He says, you know, I, I want to make sure that the kids are getting the most out of it and having a great experience. That's my top priority, and uh, and everything else is secondary. And that's the approach that Joe takes with all of our coaches here. And, you know, he really lets us do our job, and, and, and that's something that he's stuck to. And it's made my job easier because, um, of course, I'm, you know, competitive and I, you know, I – you know, and the kids are as well, and we focus on a lot of things, including winning, but to make sure that the kids are having a great experience. It might not always be in the short term. You know, it might always make sense, but that's something that um, I always try to keep in mind just you know, since I started as a head coach 10 years ago. So how is that, um, you know, just experience like at Gonzaga and then your experience, you know, in college, how has that kind of helped shape what you've built at Bradley Baseball Academy?
So I think that that's, you know, that's sort of the difference in approaches, which I, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, definitely. I was more looking at it from like a method methodology perspective. Like what have you taken away from, you know, previous coaches like at Gonzaga, at West Virginia, at PGCC, MCC, like that kind of stuff. Like how have you applied some of that stuff over your career? So what's something that you wouldn't have done five years ago that you do today?
for the, through the first half, we were, we were looking good. And uh, I went to my, my sister got married that year, and it was in April. And it's the only time I've missed a, uh, a practice or a game um, in, my, in my coaching career. And uh, so I went to the wedding, and we lost two games, I think one to O'Connell, like 18 to three, or something ridiculous. So without even knowing what the <laughs> what had happened during the course of the game, I just saw the result, and that was enough for me. And I said, okay, i got to get this back on track. I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to give this powerful speech, and I'm going to get our guys to right the ship. So I get back into town. The wedding was awesome. I get back into town, hold a team meeting, and I just go into this foggy burrito type of you know, flip-out session on our guys. And... I lost them at that point, and I felt I lost them days after that. And we ended up being about a 500 team the rest of the season. And I've talked to some of my players since then, and some of them said, well, it, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily just that. It was a combination of, you know, uh, senior turmoil, guys, certain seniors were playing, they were pissed off, and, um, you know, this guy got to fight this guy, stuff that I didn't even know about. Um, and I look back on that, and the approach I would have taken today is I would have talked to my assistant coaches and gotten a real in-depth, you know, in-depth, uh, you know, detailed analysis of what happened while I was gone, and and then I would have talked to my captains, you know, and my and my leaders, the guys that I could talk to, and say what's going on behind the scenes. You feel comfortable telling me about, you know, not to where you're uh, diming anybody out, but you know, what what can I what can I do? What can our staff do? Right, because we were, you know, we were off, we were off track at that point, and and since then, listen, we've had moments like that with, within my program where stuff's going on behind the scenes that we might not know about, or we do know about, and we got to handle it internally. And I think that we've been more successful since that that first year with some of the approaches that my staff and I have taken in those circumstances. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. I, you know. I haven't coached teams in like a little bit, but it's, it's interesting, you know, like when I deal with it, it's deal with anything. It's very like personal. And then, you know, you're dealing it with more like a macro, like how do I manage everybody's situation? And I'm dealing with like one kid at a time and it becomes a totally different animal. I don't even know how I would do something like that at this moment. Team or a manager of a major league team, you're going to have 
it doesn't matter how good you are. You get the 27 Yankees, you're going to hit some rough catches. And if you can get out in front of that early and just say, listen, I've never seen your kid pick up a baseball bat before. So I can't tell you if he's going to ever play college baseball or whatever his goal he is right now. But what I'm going to do is my best to get the most out of him. That's all you can do as a coach. Yeah, no doubt, man. Um, kind of a more fun question. Who would you say is the best player you ever played against or with? Played against or coached against? Uh, how about both? Um, well, at the time, I'll talk about the player. At the time, Bubba Nelson was probably the best player that I ever uh, saw in person. And, and that's not a household name, but he played at Riverdale Baptist. Uh, he was uh, He committed to Arizona State hit like 14 home runs, but he was drafted as a pitcher because he was, you know, 95, 96 uh, with you know, three or four other pitches. Um, faced Gavin Floyd, too, um, when he was when he was coming out of Mount St. Joseph, so I'm in a summer league game. Uh, now, the guy that probably went on in the best career was uh, Teixeira, Mark Teixeira. Probably oh, right. He was at Mount St. Joseph's, too, right? Yep. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I would say I'm, I'm probably – Probably it's somebody out I know, but those, I would say those would be the three that jumped out as me as a as a, as a player, um, as a coach. Uh, probably Lance McCullers. Um, oh, we went down to Tampa my second year. Uh, my fiance's uh, friend is best friends with his wife. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he, he was a sophomore at the time, and he, I think he was like the number two rated sophomore in the country. He was, you know, he threw one inning against us, and that ball, it, it was a pill, man. It, I mean, he must, if they were saying he could top, you know, 97, 98 as a sophomore, I, I don't know what he was throwing that day, but he did that. And I'll tell you this, he also hit, and I was talking about with uh, one of my assistant coaches today, Chad. Um, it's funny that you asked me that question because we were just talking about this. But McCullough, he was a left-handed hitter. He must have hit the highest fly ball that I have ever seen and that I will ever see in my life. It was a pop to the shortstop. And as soon as he hit it, I was like, there ain't no way that ball's getting caught. There was no wind, but it <laughs> was on 100 feet higher than any fly ball you've seen. It was, it, that's, I don't know why. That, that's something I remember more about him than anything else. But, but he, was pretty, he was pretty good that day. He had a home run later on. And yeah, he was, he was a good ball player. That's cool. Um, another fun one. Uh, favorite sports movie? And why? Yeah. What was that? Dude, amazing, fantastic. It's the most accurate portrayal of any of any sports movie there is. You know, I'd say second to, you know, or, uh, you know some close seconds would be, you know, maybe Hoosiers or, um, I don't know, uh, maybe Tin Cup. <laughs> Tin Cup's um, fantastic too. Um, what, um, what do most little league athletes and parents not know and need to know about high school baseball? Um, I think that, I think what some, what, what some families have to do, what we have, you know, we'll have roughly 80 players trying out this spring and we, and we'll have about 50 spots between our varsity and our two JV teams. So that's 30 players that aren't going to make our team, okay, that are going to have to find something else to do this spring. Um, 
And one of the, you know, when, when this happens, you know, and players and these, you know, these 30 players that come to my office and they want to know about their evaluation and why they didn't make it, um, almost every single one of them, not just played Little League, but probably made all-stars, maybe played travel ball. And they have to realize that it is so competitive, you know, as you're going up through the Little League ranks. But once you get to high school, I mean, it's, a, it's just a whole nother ball game, And it's the same thing when you get to college. You know, it, it gets tougher and tougher. And to never be satisfied and to just continue to work. If you have a Little League season where you're hitting, you know, 10 home runs or whatever it might be, just realize that there's somebody out there working to, to take your spot. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a very competitive thing. And, and the other part is this. There's guys that are, you know, 5'10", 160 pounds when they're 12. And they're that same size three years later. You know, you we can't control, um, you know, players' height and uh, and their speed and, and when they're gonna when their bodies are gonna plateau. We can, we can control their work ethic, but they gotta understand that they don't know what their body's gonna end up doing. You can look at shoe size and how tall the mother is and all these other theories that are out there for projecting, um, you know, kids' uh, future physicality and size. But you never know what's going to happen, um, you know, with it down to the T. So you just got to continue to work at your craft and, and realize that it's it's just more and more competitive as the years go along. Right. I mean, I think the thing that I always say to people is that they don't understand that Little League Baseball and baseball on a 60-90 field is like a totally different game. It's like if you hit the ball – 127 feet on a little league field. It's a hit every single time you hit the ball, 127 feet on a 60, 90 field. You're out unless it's down the line, obviously, but like people just don't understand that like the dimensions of the field and like how that plays into, you know, the results that you get on the field. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes we'll have a, you know, a parent might say, well, you know, my son went, um, you know, he went five for five in that inner squad cut him and this kid and you know, this other kid went over five and you didn't and you, you know you didn't uh you didn't cut him what you know why did that happen I said well and not that i would you know really entertain those questions but in my mind what i would think is well let's look at all the you know the details of it um who did your son get the five hits off of was it a guy that you know was not particularly good on the mound how hard did he hit the ball was it a little texas leader that you know just fell in there was it a borderline air that maybe the you know a good shortstop could have gotten to, um, and the guy that went over five did he hit five balls on the screw? You know, like there's a lot. You know, that phrase that stats don't lie. I hate that phrase. <laughs> I just don't disagree with it because you know there's a reason that major leaguers play 162 games. Right. Such a large sample size to really gather data and intel on a, how good a player is, and in a high school baseball season play 25 games so and there's seven innings so you could have i don't know 80 to 90 at bats let's say if you're everyday starter you can you could go 0 for 25 to start your season and that is that's a bad you know that's a bad third of your season right there in high school ball in the big leagues that's a bad week right make up so sample sizes are always most difficult thing and, and also just it's, it's, you know, we're looking for a uh, certain fit, too. You know, I don't just take the 20 best players always. 
you know, because if I have 20 guys that all play catcher, I can't make a team out of that. That's an exaggeration, but, you know, sometimes we have to keep guys that, you know, this guy can run a little bit, and he plays good defense, and he doesn't seem jittery. So I know how we can use him. He could be a guy that can run for us, uh, and he could also go in and play late-inning defense for us where he's not going to get, you know, nervous in those tough spots rather than the guy that, you know, hit 400 on JV, but he was hitting against, you know, certain pitching. He doesn't run well. He doesn't really have a position. He doesn't have good arm strength. So how are we going to use him, you know? Mm-hmm. We're doing a disservice to him by keeping him around if he's just going to, you know, if he's so far behind the other guys um, uh, offensively and he can't really do something that separates himself from the other guys. So, you know, there's there's a variety of things that we're, you know, we're looking for. I feel like kids and, you know, people that are like 13, 14, they don't really work enough on their own physicality either. Like you talked about, like the things that you're really looking at are the arm speed, um, foot speed, and, you know, basically how hard you can hit it. So like if you have those things, then like maybe you can find a position for somebody and like make a position. But if you don't, then, you know, what are you really working with, you know? If you've listened to uh, some of my earlier podcasts, uh, you'll know that I only have a couple of them, so I'm still kind of working on the format of you know what I really want this to be in the future. Um, so I was about to end the podcast because I thought we had a lot of really good material, and Andy was like, "You know, are you going to ask me about my favorite movie?" Um, I didn't really realize that he had like listened to the podcast I did with Coach Tar, so. Um, apparently favorite movie and why might be something that we need to keep around in the pod. So, um, another fun segment talking about movies. So, uh, enjoy. Yeah. You're not going to ask about my favorite movie. Oh, your favorite movie of all time. Yeah. You talked to Tar. I mean, uh, oh, you listened. All right. What's your favorite movie of all time? You had it prepped. Let's do it. I haven't. 
But uh, yeah, like some of the Hitchcock movies from the fifties before he did Psycho and uh, the Birds were like you know some of the Cary Grant movies and Jimmy Stewart's like Rear Window and uh, um, what's the other one uh, North by Northwest. Okay. Um, so if, I'll tell you, maybe it's just I'm getting old, but uh, <laughs> you are. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, uh, no, you're curious and you're right. <laughs> Sting. All right. Robert Redford, 1973, best picture. It, I will check it out. Give me, give the listeners a brief plot summary, like two seconds. Okay, so the Sting is about uh, uh, Prohibition era, uh, so Depression era, I should say. Yep. So it's like an old school Ocean's Eleven kind of thing? Oh, yeah. It, well, I'll tell you, the original Ocean's Eleven with uh, the Rat Pack's good, too, if you ever get a chance to watch that. Okay. All right. Sinatra, Peter Lawford, the Mr. Roper from Three's Company. That's a good one. I'm in. All right. Sounds good, man. Well, thank you. Um, appreciate you making the time, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good luck. All right. All right. Thanks, man. Bye. Later. Once again, big thank you to Andy Bradley for hopping on the Base Path podcast. I really enjoyed talking with him. Um, hopefully, we can get some more awesome coaches. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, hey, like I know a coach or someone involved in baseball or softball who would be a great interview for this, or if you are that person, um, feel free to shoot me an email, kurt at ignitebaseball.org. Happy to speak with you and uh, looking forward to hearing from you.